Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to our number two of this e-ticket ride known as Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host and automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Thanks for sticking around. On tap for this hour, a revisit to Made in America. This time we're going to be talking about the Made American Made Index and see how it differs from the federal guidelines. Mercedes-Benz is now in the power business, repurposing electric car batteries for the electric grid. And we discuss what they're doing. Finally, we take a spin back into the world of electric scooters. Did you know there are some that are actually threatening to call the police on certain pedestrians? It's true, and we investigate what's going on. But before we do that, it's easy to add your voice to the conversation. Call or text me anytime. On the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222. Wait a minute, too many twos. That's too many. 872 There you go. 9793. Got to get it straight. Yes, sir. If email is your preference, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, it's always good to hear from you, my dear listener. Still with me for this hour against their better judgment. It <laughs> might have something to do with the cuffs and chains. Are the other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack at the controls, and Sasha over at Mike 2. How y'all doing? What the world are you talking about? Uh-huh. Are, are they snugging up for you? I'm not <laughs> even touching that one with a 10-foot pole, and you got Sasha blushing now. Is that Congratulations. Even, is that possible? Uh, no. Okay. I, I, I was worried about that. Lord. Okay. <laughs> Dude, what is, what is in the parts bin for this hour? Well, you know, a little rummaging around. Um, yep. You might remember SF Motors from Mishawaka. They were the Chinese company that bought the AM General plant. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, they're investing $160 million at the plant and in the process of hiring 450 people. Okay. And what are they going to build there? They're, they're going car? to build an, an luxury electric uh SUV. That okay, they were posting some crazy numbers in terms of uh, uh, range mm-hmm. and uh, speed. Now, is this the old AM General that made the Humvee, the Humvees? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, now, AM General's still in business. They just sold that plant. Okay. They just okay. Very good. Yeah, the company's still in business. They just sold the plant. I believe this plant might have made the actual uh, the uh, retail Hummers, like the H two and the H three. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, they're talking about, to give you an idea how big this plan is, 675,500 square feet. That's a big building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll throw this in. I don't know. I think it's a little ominous. Uh, one of the county commissioners, uh, and I have no idea how old he is, compared this endeavor to the days when Studebakers were made in the county, saying that this keeps the area on the cutting edge of automotive technology. That's his words, not mine. He also noted that Studebaker's first vehicles were electric in nature. I guess he forgot that Studebaker went out of business in 1964. Well, but here's the thing, Ken. I still think to this day, my opinion here, I'll own it. Okay. That Studebaker's and the Edsel were way, way, way before their time. Um, 
We'll agree to disagree. Okay. Um, on both counts. Um, Etzel would survive if their quality was better. Yep. Uh, Studebaker would survive if their management had a clue. They merged with Packard, and they, they illust- in fact, people at the time, two things, since you brought that up. Okay. Uh, one, they alleged that uh, the merger of Studebaker and Packard in the late 1950s mm-hmm. was the equivalent of two drunks getting together. Oh, boy. That was not good. No. And, in fact, uh, Eisenhower in the late 50s organized a bailout uh, through the company, the airline company, Curtis Wright, by throwing Studebaker contracts. So it wasn't a direct government bailout, but it was government-influenced. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Eh. Uh, just, I find that ominous. Um, <clears throat> Honolulu. Yep. They may become the first U.S. city to actually cap ride-hailing surge prices. Cap? Wow. Yeah. For for Uber and Lyft. They're talking about they're talking about capping how much these ride hailing services could charge in a surge situation. Wow. Well, and a lot of things in Honolulu, the island's not that big. And you know, I could see where it could get really busy, especially in the wintertime. Or around Christmas, too, when everybody flocks to Hawaii because it's warm. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. It's not a uniform um, approval. The Honolulu City Council approved it, but the Honolulu mayor is against it. And, of course, industry's not really thrilled about it. Um, in fact, their department, Honolulu's own Department of Customer Service opposes the measure because customers already know what they would be charged, unlike taking a regular meter taxi. If you get in a taxi and you're going to point A from point A to point B, mm-hmm. uh, you don't know what that's going to run you. No, because there's too many variables. With, with, with an Uber or a Lyft, you know exactly what it's going to cost you before you get in the thing. Yeah. So they're saying, eh, it's not so much. Um, obviously, Uber said uh, they haven't received a single complaint about surge pricing, mm-hmm. that they felt it was a solution looking for an answer. Uh, and their direct quote uh, they accused the city council of trying to uh, impose outdated taxi-style requirements on rideshare. Well, isn't that just about what everybody's tried to do with Uber and Lyft anyway? Um, not always. I think you've got some cities that welcomed it um, as as measured by a number of taxi companies that have actually gone out of business or broke. Yep. Yep. Um, and obvi- obviously, the consumers are voting with their money. Well, and I also know one thing. New York City wasn't thrilled about it at all. No. Well, if you knew what those medallions cost. Oh, I know. What they used to be worth. Well, I mean, okay. So how much of this is the fact that, let's take New York City, for example. Please. And the medallions that added to the cost of your average taxi driver, okay? Mm -hmm. They had to then, in turn, add that to the cost that they would have to charge for for the peoples that would hail them down for a ride. Then you come in Uber... Um, there was no way that a taxi di- driver could compete with the rates that Uber or, you know, your ride sharing could offer. Mm-hmm. And how much of that, how much of that is their own, you know, writing on the wall when they. But that's part of the city's fault. Yeah. The city controlled the licensing of taxi drivers, hence the medallions. Yep. Those And the, the goal was to cap the number of cabs on city streets then you got in the gypsy cabs illegal cabs that's a whole nother conversation right but for a legitimate cabbie playing by the rules 
at its height, those medallions were worth a million dollars apiece. Oh, yeah, depending on now what Now they're time. worth less than 300000 Now, here's my question. When you say medallion, is that for every physical taxi cab? Yes, sir. Yeah. That's a piece. Yeah. Okay, because I kept thinking it was, and wasn't it was it, a cab company. No. no. And okay. wasn't it like for a certain area, though, too? Like depending that, on where you were was how much the medallion was? No, no. That was just across the board? That was across the okay. board. See, but I- still, I mean, if you are if you were a cabbie, say, 10 years, and you paid a million dollars, you borrowed whatever, mm-hmm. now, still making payments, that medallion's worth a third of what you paid. Yeah. Which means you can't sell it nope. and get out. There's no appreciation. It was depreciation. And you're still on the hook. And you're losing against different competition. Because also in New York City, they have a very vibrant uh, bicycle share program. Oh, yeah, that's in right. In Manhattan. That's true. Trust yep. me. They warn you. When you get off the sidewalk, the first lane is the bike lane. The second lane is where you park. And then the third lane is moving traffic. You're more likely to get hit by a bicycle in New York City than you are a cab. Yep. Wow. And trust me, having been there when I was there last year, yeah, that's a real thing because those bicyclists are moving. Well, yeah, and a lot of them are still the, the couriers. Yes. Not, not so much anymore. We're really? talking about commuters. Yes, sir. No, I still thought you had the. Uh, you yeah, do, like the, but the, the majority. The, your, well, well, the majority the basket or, for no. my, you know, my term, the the tubes that carry the plans in them. Oh yes. yeah, but yeah. not no, not so much anymore. You've got you've got commuters, wow. and and the odd part about it is you make better time on a bicycle than you do in a car or a cab. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that study from and two with, years ago. With with dedicated bike lanes, yeah. So it's interesting. Let me throw this at you before the break. Audi has introduced a new flagship SUV, the Audi Q8. Combining the elegance of a coupe with the functionality of an SUV, the Audi Q8 uh, debuted at uh, the Audi brand summit in China. And this was earlier. Well, this was early last month. Okay. So they're going all the way. Uh, They're not only doubling down on SUVs. They actually went for a luxury one. No. Oh, it does have four doors. Yeah. Okay. And, and what's the price tag on that? It baby? does not say. Of course, <laughs> because they introduced it um, at an event, which means it's probably not in production yet, but it's coming. Okay. And there's a question of whether it will come in the United States because they introduced it in China. So we'll see. Next up, the results of American of the American Made Index. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthydrive.com is the place to keep up with the latest happenings with Ken and the show. Introducing the solid feeling for 73. Introducing the new Buicks with a system of innovations you can actually feel. A rugged braking system. AccuDrive, Buick built for stable handling even on bumpy roads. Deep, roomy, full-foam seats for solid comfort and support. Never before has Buick brought together so many innovations so well for the solid feeling that is Buick 1973. 
and I forbid us to ever take commercial breaks ever again. <laughs> You'll be okay, I promise. And this is Roadworthy Drive, and I am not Ken Chester. But I am, and thank you for tuning in. Um, a few weeks ago... We are all Ken Chester on the oh, inside. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sasha, Jack, it's okay. I think I'm with Jack on this one. No more commercial breaks for you two. Apparently not. Yeah. No, no. No, no. So I for, I, no, no. I forbid them. <laughs> and wait a minute. Who is the executive producer who controls everything? That would be me. Right. Uh-huh. I, okay. still, I still forbid things. Okay. The American-Canadian Labeling Act. Yeah. Otherwise known as the American Automobile Labeling Act that I would like to nickname the American-Canada Labeling Act. Now, we talked mm-hmm. about this a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that missed out on that show, the reason why, well, let me back up. First of all, did you know, were you aware, that in the mid-1990s, Congress passed a law, uh, or it became effective in the mid-1990s, it required all automakers that sold vehicles in the United States, uh, vehicles that weighed less than 8,500 pounds, had to provide um, information about where the vehicle was assembled, where the engine transmission were made, you know, in the vehicle's final assembly point, and the percent content of U.S. Canadian parts. And they called that the American Automobile Labeling Act. Correct. But when they say American, it yeah. is American slash... Canadian. Can- yeah. can- Par- Canada. In, in part because the industry is so melded between America and Canada. Correct. The automakers lobbied Congress in that law was created. They said it would literally be impossible. To separate them. Well, yeah, and now it's almost becoming more impossible with Mexico. Well, no, because the law requires Mexican content to be broken out. I thought they also had, uh, was that the foreign part of this? No. Um, it requires the top three um, in terms of parts. Any, any country that contributed more than 15% had to be listed. Okay. Uh, so typically you're going to say U.S. Canadian together, right? Um, and then wherever else, Born. yeah. And it will list it by country. Correct. It will also list where the transmission was made, the where the engine was made, where final assembly was was Correct. in the United States. Okay, that was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another index. Um, Cars.com uses it. They call it the American Made Index. Now. They take issue with this American-Canadian stuff. And where they, where they put the weight in is they want to use a range of factors that determine which new cars and trucks contribute more to the U.S. economy, regardless of where the manufacturer's brand is headquartered. Right. Now, one thing about that, and I want to get down to this, they analyze five factors. Okay. Where the car is assembled, its domestic parts content— where its engines and transmissions come from, and here's something that the American Automobile uh, Labeling Act doesn't do. How many U.S. factory workers its parent automaker directly employs relative to vehicle sales in the United States? Oh. Yeah. Now, they go a little bit further. Okay. They say to discern a car's domestic parts content, uh, they use domestic parts content from the American Automobile Labeling Act. Uh, They also... Uh, they also use, they analyze the countries of origin for each model's engines and transmissions. This ensures that the two most expensive and labor-intensive components are from the U.S., not Canada, or elsewhere. 
Now, another difference. The federal law doesn't report costs associated with final assembly, distribution, or other non-parts items. To account for these costs, the American Made Index also considers each automaker's U.S. factory employment relative to its sales footprint. Cars from automakers that employ more U.S. factory workers per vehicle score better. Cars from automakers that employ fewer workers per vehicle in the United States score worse. Now, they had some exceptions. Cars that have been discontinued or in the final model year aren't eligible, and any cars produced exclusively for export. Also, any vehicles that fall below 40% of all domestic part contact ratings for U.S. models are disqualified, as is any vehicles with fewer than 2,500 sales for the first quarter of the calendar year. Now, what do you think was number one? We talked the last time we said Honda Odyssey and Honda Ridgeline. Mm-hmm. All right. Top number one, based on everything we just said, right? Jeep Cherokee, made in Belvedere, Illinois. Huh. Number two, Honda Odyssey. Not a surprise. Nice. Number three, Honda Ridgeline. Not a surprise. Number four, Ford Taurus, Chicago, Illinois. There you go. Five, and this is a very particular one, Chevy Volt in Detroit. Usually the thing they say about hybrids, most of the battery and electric components are made offshore, mm-hmm. except in this case, it's made in a plant just outside of Detroit, oh. the electrical components. Okay. Hence, that's why it ended up in this number. Um, some more surprises. More Hondas. Honda Pilot, Alabama. Honda, uh, Acura, which is a Honda. MDX, East Liberty. Um, number nine, Ford Explorer. Same plant as the Taurus. And then the last two, um, Ford F-150. Yes, and Chevy Corvette. Which ones were the worst ones? You know, bottom of the list. I did. You know, I didn't go there. Oh, you needed to. Go I there. did not go there. Did not go there. That and these important. are made. All these top ones are made in basically six states. Right. Um, Michigan, Illinois, um, made in Missouri. Yep. Um, Alabama, Kentucky, Ohio. Okay. Not surprised. Oh, by the way, I meant to ask you. Mm-hmm. Because I saw this the other day, speaking about my F-150. Yes. Um, Louisville was making the Super Duties, right? Still are. There's also one more place that makes them, too. No. I just saw that. Where was it? No. They're made made in Kentucky Truck in the United States. Okay. That that is Louisville. Okay. If they say Kentucky Truck Plant, that's Louisville. Okay. Now, the Expedition is also made down there. They moved yeah. in from Michigan a number of years ago back, to make room for the Focus. Correct. And they did a little plant swapping back then. But, no, it's made there. But, again, because it's above 8,500 GVW. You're not getting. They're, they're exempt from content requirements. Yep. So we don't really know what the content is on heavy-duty trucks. Oh, and by the way, for the, for the, for the what I'm going to call Super Duty or the HDs in, in Chevy's case, mm-hmm. when are they going to start requiring fuel fuel economy and maybe this labeling act? Uh, well, the labeling act, I doubt, because there's so much pressure against it, and these things are so profitable. But I believe I'm seeing requirements from the EPA in the next 10 years, but all of that's open to review. So that may or may not happen. Mm-hmm. But right now, I saw them developing standards for the 2028 model year for heavy-duty trucks. Okay. So we'll see. Coming up, Mercedes-Benz gets into the energy storage business. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. 
to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Bad jokes and hijinks between the breaks. Really? Shenanigans. Yeah. A salt, salt shaker, really? Mm-hmm. That's what you got. <laughs> Only hey, sea salt. Hey, I'm oh. into. I'm into. Wow, be healthy. I'm into slapstick comedy. Come on. Yeah, that's the problem. Too much slap, not enough stick. I think. Wow. Uh, <laughs> this is segment number three of Roadworthy Drive. We're glad you could be with us. I'm Ken Chester here with the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack at the controls, and Sasha at mic number two. You know what? I could actually shut this mic off, and it wouldn't matter. Wow. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to talk about your fair share of the road? I don't know. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. <laughs> now that I've been threatened. <laughs> you were not threatened. Uh-huh. That, was, that was said in love. Come on. For you- those of you who want more share of the road, uh, be sure to check out our website at www.roadworthydrive.com. Got audio clips of past shows, videos of our behind-the-scene antics, which, trust me, you're going to want to watch. We are back on. We just started the, this week. We had Heaven very... help us all. <laughs> yeah. We were having what was called technical issues. Te- te- <laughs> yes. But we're not technical any- we're not technical anymore? No, we're still technical. We just don't we worked out. We don't the have issues. Yeah, we okay. don't have issues, exactly. Okay. Uh, for all of you on Facebook, we've created this new video series. Hosted by our own Sasha, it's called Wheels of Non-Consent, where uh, Sasha <clears throat> borrows. Borrow. Uh, yeah, and that's in quotes, people. Supposedly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so far, she's uh, escaped uh, plausible deniability, I think. Well, but the thing so, is, as long as I don't get the phone call about bailing her out of jail, uh-huh. I think I we're good. Well, she takes a vehicle that I get every week, and, and she gets to take it for her own take on those wheels. With a special emphasis on the new tech within. Mm. What else are you doing with that? Uh, I mean, not a lot that I really want to say on national radio. But let's just say that this car that I have this week, it is the Hyundai um, Ionic. Ionic. I keep wanting to say unique. I'm no, not sure why. Ionic. But it's Ionic. Hybrid. Um, it is my first hybrid. It it's is blue. It is blue. It's um, pretty blue. It also has a vanity mirror. Did you want to talk about that? No. I'm did, you, sure? did you also notice... That most of the vehicles he's getting right now are blue. I think that's they're trying to change the color scheme because for the longest time, black, white, silver has been your top three. Mm-hmm. And I think automakers are trying to get people more, you know, broadened out as far well, as color. But, but again, you you know, anybody that that's, has tried to trade cars knows you don't go for the bright neon yellow, the neon oh, orange. I don't know about you. I love the orange. Yeah, the they problem don't is, sell well. Yeah, no. Uh, State police target? And? Yeah, no, thanks. Anyway, so the vehicle that I have, like you said, um, is my first hybrid. It's my first lane um, keep assistant um, and uh, lane um, change assistant. And it also has lane change mitigation, doesn't it? Well, lane change assist is lane change mitigation. Well, and lane keep assist. Mm -hmm. They're different, but we're going to let Sasha uh, explain that in her new series. Yes. We're going we're gonna to save that. We're not going to tell them everything. Yes. By so, the way, it's on Facebook only. Only on only Facebook. Only on Facebook. You have to like Roadworthy Drive to be able to get the notifications to see this. And Actually, you don't want to miss this, people. Trust me. Right. 
It it is a very. You, I think you guys will be very very excited about what we're able to do. Besides, I need the proof so I can get the car back. Oh, did what? I? Yeah, what? something like that. No, I, I hear nothing. <laughs> you don't want to miss a, sim- a single episode, folks. So check it out now. For those of you that are truly mobile, we are now available on Google Play and Blueberry Podcasting. Be sure to check us out. That's a B L U B R R Y. Yeah, no E. There's no E in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remove a vowel. Yes, uh, both E's actually. Oh, that's true. Both for E's. You. No, yeah, there's no E's. I think it was Jack mm. that and first asked the question a while back about what would happen to the growing number of electric vehicle battery packs when they had outlived their usefulness in an electric or hybrid vehicle. And the reason why he asked that question was the gazillions and gazillions of regular batteries that we have now that start our vehicles, when they go bad, how are they disposed and are they disposed up properly? Okay, well, the lead-acid batteries usually, well used to be recycled mm-hmm. yes. before you got to the sealed ones. I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know. Um, but as far as the lithium-ion battery packs, which are basically many cells, um, they do have a life after they're no longer uh, useful for cars. And we talked about this. Regular listeners would know. We talked about this with Nissan and their lighting project. Yep. Mm-hmm. We talked about Tesla and their uh, power concept using it, particularly on Australia, Western Australia. We talked about it. Yep. Uh, and now we add Mercedes-Benz. They've actually started their own energy business, and they did it in a pretty cool way. How did they do it? Well, they are using... Spent batteries from their little smart cars. If you didn't know, it's Mercedes-Benz that builds those little cars. They build the little smart cars? Yes, sir. Or what I call a dumb car? Pregnant car? Pregnant wow. real escape? No, wow. I just, I just, I'm sorry, but if one of those got ran over by a semi, you're done. Brother, if your F-150 got hit by a semi, it would be less than 50-50 for you. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, that's all relevant. All I'm saying is Mercedes-Benz got into this business, and what they did they used over a thousand modules from its electric car battery packs to convert a closed uh, coal-fired electric plant that had been open for a hundred years. All right, and converted it to an energy storage facility to even out the German power grid. Okay. Now we've talked here and we've explained to our listeners um, that really batteries were the missing link in uh, renewable energy because you had this disconnect when either the wind was blowing or the sun was out for a solar and wind power, you might have low demand. But if it's cloudy or it's nighttime and you've got high demand, um, you know, they weren't on. And your demand is going to be normally higher at night. Well, it's usually during the day, but if you have a day that's not sunny and there's no wind. you got a problem. Yeah. However, what the batteries do is when these when, when you do have wind and you do have sun, it charges the batteries, and then the batteries can be discharged. That energy can be discharged into the electrical grid to even out the grid. Up till now, what used to happen is they would have what they call um, available power or spinning reserves. Mm-hmm. And that cost a lot of money because ratepayers had to pay for those assets. They were not connected to the grid, but they were in kind of a hot standby, which means right. if demand increased – Above base load, they'd kick these in. Well, that was considerably more expensive than reusing these batteries. Right. And that what and really it's the batteries that are making um, 
renewable power more feasible and even. Yeah, because then we, you don't need to have to balance it when it's available. And we've seen that in, in Western Australia. We've seen that in Western Australia. Now, their latest project had uh, 8.96 megawatts using a total of 1,920 battery modules in this plant. And they're looking at uh, a sustainable extension of the e-mobility value chain while at the same time reducing carbon dioxide gas in the atmosphere. Now, those battery modules would have found their ways into about 600 third-generation electric smart cars. Think about that. Just something to think about. It's happening more and more. Finally, electric scooters with an attitude. You are tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. This is Roadworthy Drive. Welcome to the last part of this hour, Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Now, during this hour, we've talked about the American-made index, and we've reviewed how Mercedes-Benz is repurposing battery packs from its electric hybrid vehicles. For this last segment, we'll be talking about electric scooters. Along with regular pedal bikes, this segment of mobility is gaining traction, popularity, (laughs) and complaints in some of our nation's largest cities. Now, we've got electric scooters with attitude. Here's what I mean. Can you imagine? Um, right now, this whole electric scooter craze, mm-hmm. companies are coming into cities, dumping a bunch of them in a place, going about their business. Can you imagine an electric scooter? Now, you're looking at it for the first time. And maybe you've picked it up and you're looking around and fiddling with it. And the electric scooter threatens to call the police. Unlock me to ride me or I'll call the police, in a woman's voice, it says, to you. Okay, now that explains the attitude. <laughs> wow, Jack, really? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. No, I was saying the attitude. I mean, I'm sorry, but if I went and picked one of these things up and it says unlock me or call the police, I'm saying it's got an attitude. I don't care whose voice it is. Okay, I'll take that. And it seems strange to me because if you're looking at the thing for the first time, and maybe you're the nosy sort, you, you're looking it over. Curious know? George. Yeah, curious George. Um, This actually happened one Silicon Valley startup, electric scooter startup, mm-hmm. actually programmed their bikes to do that, which wow. was kind of stupid. This threat immediately repeats in high volume, and it's the first and only sound the scooter makes. What do they mean by unlock me? It thinks you're trying to steal it. I get that. So basically, it wants you to download the app, launch the app. Uh, scan, there's usually a uh, barcode on the bike, mm-hmm. get the okay, and that unlocks it. Okay. In other words, you become a paying customer. Okay. But, you know, and it was Lime Bikes. Lime is the one that did that. Okay. Um, They have a nerve, though. I mean, most of these companies like Jump and Lime and Bird, they're coming into cities. And at least their first start, they figured... Dump the bikes, get the popularity, apologize later. So these bikes end up all over the place. Your scooters end up all over the place. They're dockless. 
and this is where the the term bird dog came in for the guys well, picking it back up and recharging them. Well, he, chasing birds. Or chasing birds. I'm chasing sorry. Chasing birds. Um, but, yeah, and may okay. The words Blair let after less than a minute of a person standing on and exploring the buttons of the scooters. Oh. Which Lyme has been dumping on sidewalks throughout the United States with little warning and little government approval. But yet, it's getting an attitude. I'm sorry, but I would think if somebody was punching my buttons, I'd have an attitude too. But yeah. you know what? But by the same token, they didn't work with the city to where to put them. They just arbitrarily decided to put them out there. Now, and maybe that's it's a problem on several levels. Exactly. So I'm thinking, you know, not so much, Lime. Now, here's the thing. There's no evidence that the obnoxious feature actually leads to an automated call of police. Yeah, that was going to be my other question is how exactly would they call police? Mm, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Um, and, in fact, a Denver City Council person asked that very same question. Why would they call the police? And could they call? No, they no. They have to report back to headquarters. Headquarters calls the police. Yeah, but it's not happening. I it, know. Um, Lime recently ignored Denver's orders to remove the dockless scooters from sidewalks. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that ain't going to end well. Let me go a little further. Oh. Uh, one San Francisco city supervisor said, I've gotten plenty of complaints from residents and shopkeepers who are pissed off about the noise as well as the police state intimidation tactic. It's kind of ironic. They go plop them in the middle of the sidewalk, and then these things start abusing people. <laughs> I have to agree. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, I'm all for inexpensive transportation. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for mobility. Yep. But, you know, there needs to be some order. It's not fair to the cities. It's not fair to the shopkeepers. It may, in fact, cause an accident or injury because now there's no rhyme or reason of where they end up. Well, if you get the the heck scared out of you, you know, that's gonna, that could cause an accident. Absolutely. You might trip. You might fall. You know, I understand they want to protect their assets, but they kind of ask for it when you just dump them nowhere. Well, I mean, the middle of anywhere. Why, why aren't these people working with the cities? Because it's a race, Jack. It's a race to get supremacy and then get approval. It's the old saying, it's better to ask forgiveness than to get permission. Yep. That's exactly where they're going. Okay. But the, the, the issue that I've got, and I have in my lifetime had to deal with numerous cities, mm-hmm. especially in my other profession, mm-hmm. where I can honestly tell you. That doesn't work. When you get a cease and desist letter, mm-hmm. you better cease and desist. Yeah. Yep. But by the same token, I have to measure about is an opportunity window, they believe, and getting established. Is their brand getting established? And when you have three or four bike companies like, excuse me, like that, right, trying to get superiority with their product, they figured that was the best way to do it. Flood them in mass get people familiar with them, become the dominant choice, and then try to work something up with the but city. you've got so much liability if they're, quote, literally dropping them on the sidewalk. And they are. They are. There's, there are people that love the bikes. There are people that hate the bikes. Uh, the good news, though, with Lime, they have, uh, their words, updated their anti-theft alarm in the new model, which no longer has any message. Awesome. Really? Yeah. Uh, the scooters have not alerted police, but they have worked with law enforcement on incidents of vandalism. 
because some people don't like the bikes and are throwing them in front of buses and vandalizing oh, them. Oh, things. Yes, this really happened. Oh, mm-hmm. hey, take mm-hmm. take those scooters down to downtown L.A. and the neighborhoods that surround them and let people get artistic with them with spray paint. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Here's a question for you since we're talking about electric scooters. Okay. Um, what is a group of people riding uh, bird scooters called? I'm afraid to ask. Also am I. A flock. Oh, my God. Wow. I does not make this stuff up, people. I'm not. Uh, but, you know, there's stories... I can share in doing my research on electric scooters, and this is not the first time we've talked about it. There are people that have actually tried them and love them. It seems the biggest problem with them right now is if you're looking for one and you're one person, chances are you're okay. Right. If you're a couple of people, two or three people looking for scooters, it's not always guaranteed that, number one, there'd be enough scooters in the location where you want to go. Two, that the scooters as a group I have enough battery power that they're maintained. There's some problems and hiccups. They're going to continue working this stuff out, and we're going to continue talking about it. Well, that wraps up our visit for this week. Be sure to tune in at this same time next week when Jack, Sasha, and I do this all over again. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.